Hey everyone, this is Sina with another episode of Into the Bytecode. Today I had a conversation with Julian Nisse, the co-founder and chief science officer at Argent. Argent is a crypto wallet that's used and loved by many, many people in the crypto ecosystem. So this was a really fun conversation. We, we talked about how Argent has evolved to get to where it is today and how, how Julian sees user experience evolving from here broadly in the ecosystem. Like what happens when a new person is interacting with a crypto application for the first time. Another topic we get quite deeply into is layer twos and how Julian and Argent have thought about the topic of EVM equivalence and compatibility and why they've ultimately chosen to build on ZK rollups like ZK Sync and Starknet. And lastly, we dive into what it's been like to build on Starknet, what the early Starknet community feels like today, what it's been like to write code in Cairo. And as a bit of a snapshot into this experience, we do a deep dive into what account abstraction looks like on Starknet. This was a really fun conversation. I'm grateful Julian spent the time to, to chat with me today, and I hope you enjoy. What I find interesting is that we started Argent not knowing much about the blockchain, and we came up with all these concepts, like having this kind of this fresh, you know, fresh eyes on the ecosystem. And we can't, we, I mean, we realized there was a problem with wallets. There was like a big gap on the ecosystem. And so we, and we really felt that that needed to be solved because yeah. we never believed that, you know, mainstream users would kind of adopt the way we do things on, on, you know, on blockchain. Like they would start to care about private keys, seed phrase and all these complex topics. And so we really felt that something had to change. And because we were kind of new, we came up with, a bunch of ideas or we picked ideas from here and there and started building Argent. So to come back to my first statement, what I find interesting is that after four years, we're basically still doing the same in the sense that there's a lot of companies because it's an ecosystem that moves a lot, that pivot or that adapt. Actually, our initial vision of Argent is still exactly what, we, you know, what we've built and what we're continuing building. So I find that consistency quite, quite, quite interesting. Uh, but of course, we got some some things right and we got some things you know wrong and and one thing that we did got really really wrong is is the evolution of of gas price and transaction fees yeah we, we i mean fr from the start we first of all we believe that transaction fees should be abstracted to users uh and the way we we saw that initially it's, it's a bit like a server if you go on a website I mean, you're not charged for where the server of the website is hosted. You're not paying for AWS fees, for example. You're actually interacting with an application and then it has a business model and actually what you pay for the, through the business model compensate for all these infrastructure fees. And so we felt that this needed to be the same you know, on Ethereum. And so we came up with that very clever idea of saying we'll subsidize gas. Mm -hmm. And at that, at that point, gas was... Uh, well, it was too. It was still a bit expensive, but but you know, looking at what we don't know, it was actually dirt cheap. But but what we felt is that it could only go down because again, we would never 
Evan and Tain, I mean, have, you know, uh, mainstream users and billions of users using blockchain if transaction fees are, you know, one or two dollars. We always believe that it will have to go down to five or 10 cents max. And so we know we are there and we're saying, okay, we have, we are VC funded, so we can subsidize gas. And at some point it has to go down. If it doesn't go down, then that means this ecosystem will never we have bigger down. problems. Exactly. Uh, and, and, I, and I still think that's right. But what we fail to anticipate is that between two points, it's not always a straight line. And of course, it went crazy high. <laughs> and now it yeah. is, it's going to go gradually down, down with roll-up. So our initial statement, I think, is still correct. But of course, we got completely wrong how that evolved. And so that impacted us a lot because we were subsidizing for all transactions. And when, you know, transactions were like, 20 cents, 50 cents, a dollar, it started to be a bit expensive, but of course users loved it. So we had more and more users and then it went to $1 to $10 per transaction, then to $100 per transaction. And of course that, that, was, that was terrible. It's maybe similar to how PayPal in the early days was paying users to like do referrals, but like you're like, we'll subsidize the gas costs and the higher the gas fees go, the more compelling it is for a new user to switch to <laughs> yes. Argent. Yes, but the, 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 the more wrong you are and, and the more like it, it, it's becoming possible to make a business out of that. Yeah. And so, of course, we had to kind of change our position on that. We had to adapt the product and we had to surface this cost to the user and so on. So, so that's been one of, one of the learning we made and one of the things we, we did go wrong. I think something we did go right is, is actually your entire model. I think more and more people are converging to our model of smart contract wallet uh, with these features that are needed. I mean, I'm sure we'll come back to that, but you know, social recovery, fraud monitoring, all these things that we believe yeah. from the start were needed for mass adoption. I think people are starting to realize that it, that it is indeed the right, the right model. And of course, with, I mean, now we are really excited about all, everything that's happening with, with layer twos, because again, this model of smart contract wallet, I think from the point of view of the user, it's the right model. But there's also a, a few difficulties with that. One is that it's not smart contract wallet or second class citizen on Ethereum. You know, yeah. they're not, so, so developers don't design and don't build their applications for smart contract wallet. All the tooling and so on is, is designed for EOAs. And so as a smart contract wallet, you're kind of an outlier. You're a bit different and there's a bit, a bit too much friction. So that's one problem that we've identified over the, these past four years. And of course, there's also still the cost. Because if you have logic on chain on every transaction, it's still more expensive. So of course, as the cost of transaction and gas will go down, you're still more expensive than using a plain MetaMask, for example. Yeah. Uh, and so I think these two facts have kind of limited our growth the past four years. Mm. Uh, and, and so that's why we started really looking at, you know, what would be the future for our model. And so that's where, why we got really interested with, with, with rollups, ZK rollup and account abstraction in particular because the combination of these two things actually solve these, these problems. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, so the core premises of a user managing their own keys and figuring all of this stuff out, that's too complicated. We need to use smart contract wallets. That premise is correct, but where it runs into problem on L1 is that smart contract wallets are second-class citizens because a lot of applications on the protocol itself distinguishes between an externally owned account and a contract. So that's that's that thread of thought. And that leads into account abstraction and why it's so interesting that some of these rollups have that baked in. And the other premise was that these gas fees should be abstracted away from users. 
which seems totally sensible. Like it's it's kind of crazy, like you said, for a user to pay the AWS fees for a website that they're using. And, and you know, we've kind of always known that L1 gas fees would go up, but I mean, me, I also assumed that L2s would probably be ready sooner than they are. And it's just turned out to be a massive feat of research and engineering. So I think it totally makes sense. So these two things coming together means that you go on an L2 that has account abstraction baked in at the protocol layer and you kind of you you're kind of well positioned to execute on this like original vision that you've had. Exactly. That that that's exactly that's exactly it. I think a, a, a way I like to to frame it is that I do believe to reach you know mainstream adoption we need two things we need to scale like the base technology like transaction needs to be less than five or ten cent maximum and so for that layer twos and, and rollups actually solve that that problem but we also need to scale the user experience of self-custody because uh, I, I mean we do believe and i think everybody on the ecosystem believes that self-custody is important so that means we also need to scale that experience because if we don't, then users will just use custodial solutions at some point. Because yeah. I think mainstream users and, and like the next wave of users will onboard, they will they won't really care about about right. custody or blockchain. I think people will come for applications. They will come because there's something they want to do, and it so happened that this this thing that they want to do relies on the blockchain. Uh, but I don't think they will come for philosophical or you know. Or reason like self-custody decentralization and so on. So we need to, to bake that into the tools that these users, this next wave of users will use. And so that's why we need to, to scale self-custody uh, or the user experience of self-custody. So that's really the way we've been thinking about that at Argent is really, we need to scale the technology and we need to scale the user experience of, of self-custody. And so the technology, it's rollups. And at Argent, we are specifically excited about ZK rollups. And that's why we're building on, on StackNet and ZK Sync. And then we also need to have account abstraction to scale that user experience of self-custody. And again, that's why StackNet yeah. combined bones and ZK Sync as well. So that, that's really why we've been focusing on, on, on StackNet and ZK Sync. I mean, we, we're talking to all the other layer twos and there's a lot of people that would want Argent to, you know, to, to, to come on their rollups. And, we always have the same position like yeah it's great but we do believe that that's what is needed to to really scale the ecosystem yeah um, so that's why we've been you know we've been lobbying for uh, and being quite vocal about zk rollup and account abstraction yeah on this point of user adoption and um self custody it's an interesting one cuz in some ways like there's a bit of time sensitivity too right like if like they're, 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 blockchains do provide value propositions that don't necessarily rely on the self-custody, right? You get this like programmable money that's interoperable across the world and you like all, can do all these things. And like if, if self-custody isn't ready for mass adoption, other forms of applications that don't like don't bake that in, they'll, they'll, they might just start getting adopted and then we we lose like one of the most important pillars of this whole thing in the process yeah fully agree fully agree uh, and and i think that i think that's something that's really important and that that we tend to forget i think a, a year ago i wrote a blog post i think titled something like why eoa are threat to you know 
to the future of blockchain or something like that. I'm trying to be a bit controversial, but I do believe that the argument stands in yeah. the sense that if we still rely on EOAs, I do think that people will turn to, to custodial solutions because again, it's natural. Users, you know, people want simplicity. They want convenience. Yeah. At some point, I think there's always kind of a trade-off of how much energy and how much you care about something versus the simplicity to get that thing. And so if it's too complicated to get it, then people will just you go for, for, for simpler solutions. And so I do believe that there's a real risk of the ecosystem gradually shifting towards you know, centralized and, and custodial solutions. Uh, and yes, if that happens, there will still be benefit of the technology because I think blockchain has has multiple facets. So there will be some, 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 you know, some, some interest and it will bring, bring stuff to, to the world in a sense, uh, but we will lose, I think one important factor, yeah. which is self custody. And so we need, I think we need to fight against that today. And that means, I think it's, we kind of feel at Argent that it's our responsibility to kind of solve that, yeah. you know, that problem and provide that, that, that alternative today, because if we don't do it today, I think it will be too late at some point. So before jumping into like L2s and account abstraction and all of these things, like assuming, assuming that this self-custody path works, do you have a, a picture of the world of what that looks like from a user's point of view? Let's say it's like three years into the future and I'm trying to play a game that, you know, where the items are NFTs and, you know, I can like trade them with other people in like the in-game auction or whatever. Like what is the what is the flow that a user goes through from beginning to end? Because even the even the piece of like go like sign up for a centralized exchange, deposit US dollars to buy like the native token, transfer it to your wallet. Like when a transaction fails, look at the block explorer. Like all these things are kind of insane. And 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 there it's true that there's this curve of like early adopters that you know is overlapped with the technology becoming easier to use thankfully like the early people are more open to dealing with this level of pain but what does it like do you have an image of like how the puzzle pieces fit together to make this work for someone who doesn't need to go through all this trouble yeah i mean we 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 definitely have a, have a picture at Arja, and I think we are gradually building and, and moving towards that 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 solution. I, I think, again, I think the majority of people will come, as we we're saying, for an application. So someone will come for a game. I think at first, people will just want to play the game. And I think, for example, the first friction point is download a wallet or install a wallet. I think that's already a blocker for a lot of people. So the way we see at Argent is that it's, I think at first users will have a wallet without knowing they have a wallet. So maybe they'll, you know, they'll sign up to something with an email and a password, for example. But actually what happens in the background is that there will be a smart contract or smart account being deployed. And, you know, there will be some key that will be encrypted with their password and stored in a, still in a non-custodial way, but, you know, in the cloud or, or they, they, there's different options for that. So these users, there's still, there's no value at first and they will come, they actually don't know they're on the blockchain. They sign up like, an, I think, a normal a normal website or web to yeah. you know, web to flow if you want. And so at this piece, just to like follow, so the, the website or maybe the website has some partnership with like a wallet provider and they spin up like private public keys, they encrypt them with the user's password and all of this is abstracted away from the user, but also the, you know, these service providers don't have unilateral access and something exactly. like this is yeah. doable today. 
Okay, so yes. this piece, this piece is it, like good. Yeah, it's not it's not perfect in the sense that you know the key, the encrypted key, even if only the users can have access to it, maybe the cloud provider can censor it. So there's different trade-off, different thing you can do. But again, it's still it you can still have a certain level of of self-custody, which yeah. is certainly good enough. Then the users, if he wants to play at some point, they will need you will need to pay something. I think it can unwrap again with a credit card. You might mm. not know, but like a normal game, you need to, to have tokens, so you need to have coins for that game. I mean, that's the experience that you know game players may have today. So you take your credit cards, you actually unwrap some funds, and then suddenly you can play the game and you collect these NFTs, and you still actually don't know that this is running on the blockchain. It could be a normal game, a web two game like you have today. But at some point, the users will gradually realize that this is part of a larger ecosystem and that indeed these NFTs that he collects, he can bring them to another application called an exchange and then maybe exchange them for, you know, for more coins or for actually real dollars. And so gradually the users will start to realize that this is part of something bigger. And then at that point, I think the role of, of the wallet would be to accompany the user in, the, in that journey. So at first, you had something that you didn't even know it was a wallet, but then gradually you become more informed and we may tell you, you know what, if you install that mobile application, then actually you can take the stuff you've run on game A and you've run on, on game B and you can bring them to that exchange and do something new with them. And so at that point, users may be ready to understand that they need to have a piece of software to do that. The wallet can be still very simple. And again, at that point, they may have accrue more value so maybe the initial way to store, you know, to store this, this first key was, is no longer uh, relevant or the more appropriate. So maybe at that point, actually what the user want is to have, to have that mobile application that works like as, as a remote control, if you want, mm. that mobile wallet, which has a key, which is, you know, encrypted in the, the secure enclave of the phone, but actually, and it has social recovery. And maybe mm. the social recovery in the hood with just a service based on the first email and password the user provided first. So you, you, you gradually go towards something that is, you know, more control to the user and actually more censorship resistant and, and more self-custody because now yeah. the key is only on the phone and there's still one guardian that can help the user in case he loses his phone. And then, and, and then gradually from there, I think this will be fine for the majority of users that have a little bit of fun. But then there are people that will go towards more financial application. They will start to have even more fun. And so with that same application, maybe we can tell them, you know what, you should add more guardian because now your social recovery only depends on, on that service. If you want to be really full secure, you know what, you should have a hardware wallet and use that hardware wallet as a guardian because the user now has a lot of fun and you know, is, is more aware of, of the ecosystem of the blockchain and these things start to make sense. So the way we see for us, the experience is something that I think should be gradual. Yeah. And should at every stage of a user's journey should abstract as much complexity and as much detail as possible so that the user experience is very simple, but still baking it this key principle, which are, you know, uh, self-custody. And yeah. decentralization. So that that's for us. That's kind of of the way uh, we see the, the you know the ecosystem in in one or two years at Argent. And we are working on these on these different pieces. We started working on this this entry point that we call a cloud wallet. It's a terrible name, but it's the idea that the user has a wallet without actually knowing he has a wallet. So without installing any any software, but that that first moment he already has a smart contract wallet deployed. 
except that it only leverages limited capability of that smart contract wallet. And throughout that journey, it will be basically the same smart contract wallet, but the way to interact and the configuration of that smart contract wallet may change over the user's journey uh, into the blockchain. That makes sense. So it's it's a bit of you know getting application developers to comply with these standards from the beginning and allowing the user to kind of like keep the same basic setup and move you know like modify various configurations of it as they move forward, and that makes sense. So they start playing this game and they you know at some point when they want to interface with another game or they want to do some exchange they find out that there's this new application they need to download, which is a wallet. And it's kind of like a cross between a bank or like a, you know, a little cool, like a uh, FinTech thing and a uh, one password key manager and, a, and an authenticator. And exactly. it's important yes. to take care of. And that application will, yeah, probably abstract away all I all like bridging all the fact that these are different networks. Uh, block yes. explorers and these things should, I mean, that's like both. They should probably be more human readable versions of them, and also just support, right? Like customer support type things, wrapping them to to explain what's happening to a user and take care of things on their behalf. Yeah, definitely. And, and and again, I think what's interesting is that it's in the sense it's the same blockchain account across these different moments because it's the same smart contract. If you have a smart contract wallet, it's the same smart contract. It's just how you interact with it that changes. And to come back to something that you were saying, I think there's a lot of things we can do. You were mentioning like failed transactions. On Argent today, if you use Argent, because we use meta transactions, we have relayers. Uh, but that means we can actually guarantee that the transaction goes through. On Argent, you never have failed transactions. Or if you have, it's because there's actually, a, you know, an issue in our logic, and that's something that we need to improve. Because if you make a transaction, if for some reason it fails, our relayers will monitor that and will try to replay transaction. Let's say, for example, you, you place a transaction with the gas price that is too low, and there's a sudden, you know, spike of, of gas price. Your transaction is not going through for five minutes. Our relayers can detect that and can replay the transaction with a higher you know, with a higher transaction fee. So I think there's a lot of things that can be built to actually make that experience very smooth for the users. I think we are really at the at the beginning. You know, today it's very yeah. bare bones for most users. As you mentioned, you need to you know manage your key. You need to have a, a, a software. You need to look in the transaction explorer if it works. You need to set up your own transaction fees. I mean, all these details. They're they're okay for early adopters, but I mean nobody believes that that's the future of 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 the gateway and the wallet in, in the blockchain. It has to change and there's all these friction points and all these complexities needs to be abstracted gradually. Uh, but I do think we are getting there. I, I, I think, you know, that that vision or that that image that I picture, I think we are we will be there within a year at Argent yeah. Villa, the different building blocks. I, I do believe that ZK rollups like Starknet and ZK Sync will grow very, very rapidly. So there will be a lot of activities and we will have all these all these pieces together on this on this change that can support onboarding a lot of users. So I think we are closer than we think to that that yeah. great experience. And the the yeah the path to getting there doesn't seem like it includes any insurmountable obstacles. It's like pretty there's a lot of like stuff to to figure out and a lot to build and a lot of product, you know consumer finesse 
but it seems feasible, which is a which is a hopeful thought. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's it's a matter of engineering in a sense. But um, yeah. engineering or mostly product, actually. I shouldn't say engineering, in the sense that the technology is there. It's more a question of of building and designing good products for users. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so maybe now moving into a bit of the under the hood, the types of things you've been working on. So you have you have the core Argent wallet, which is, you know, a thing on mainnet and it has these guardians and all of the things we've talked about, but that has the issue of mainnet applications. A lot of the times don't understand smart contract wallets, don't know how to interface with them. Gas fees are high. And so you've built now this new wallet on Starknet called Argent X and Maybe a first question is, what is the architecture of these wallets under the hood? Are they yeah. are they following a very similar model? Do you see a person having one of these wallets on each each rollup? Let's say, how do they interface with each other? Like, what are what is the high level picture of what this looks like? Yeah, that's a that's a very good question. I think the first point is that actually we have three wallets today, in a sense, because okay. you mentioned this Argent the the Argent that people know on mainnet that we call Argent Vault. But actually, we also have on the mobile application, you can be on mainnet, but you can also be on ZK Sync V1. Right. So we are actually already on the layer two with ZK Sync V1, which you access to the mobile application. And actually, for new users, that's the default. So if someone installs Argent today, the thing that they will see is ZK Sync V1. If they want, they can also deploy a Vault. But again, that will cost them a little bit because you know there's the fee of deploying the smart contract and so on. But so by default, today on the mobile application, what you see is the casing v1, and you also have the possibility to have the vault. Uh, uh, what we believe is that the casing v1 will be gradually transitioned to the casing v2. So all the users that are today on V1, at some point they will automatically be on V2. So that means on the mobile, you will have Argent Vault on mainnet, and you will have Argent on ZK Sync with full smart contract and everything. As you mentioned, we also have a, a second form factor of product that is Argent X. So that's a browser extension, which today we are building on Starknet. Yes, we also uh, we will also bring Starknet to the mobile application. So the way we see. And it's still a moving, it's, it's a moving picture, right? We have a lot of discussion internally, so nothing is fixed. But what really what we believe is that in a sense, all these are different facets of a common product, if you want. And so at some point, it will be a current experience, whether you use the mobile application or use Argent X, or actually you, you play a game for the first time and you, you use that cloud wallet that I call that you actually don't know is a wallet. All this will be actually different ways to interact with the same object, which is a smart contract in one chain. And these smart contract, there will be instance of that smart contract on a small number of, of chains. So today, they are quite separate. The mobile application is completely separate from the browser extension. Uh, the reason we did that is because Starknet is moving very, very fast. I mean, you know, we started even before Starknet was, was really live, we started building on them. And we, we knew that building stuff, I mean, building that on mobile would be shooting ourselves in the foot because mobile, you know, the cycles are much, much slower and much longer. So we really wanted to kind of iterate as fast as possible and have the possibility to move as, as quick as possible on Argent X, 
without thinking too much about the legacy coming from having the Vault and ZK Sync, uh, which is what we've been doing so far. And I think it's been a, an amazing ride on our Gen X. But now we are at the moment where we are starting to consolidate this, saying that. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. So today on Argent X, it's purely uh, there's no Argent service. There's there's no social recovery yet. You know, there's not all these things that are, they are available on the smart contract, but they are not surfaced in the front end in the application. So today, if you use Argent X, you use it like a MetaMask if you want, meaning that you are responsible for a seed phrase. And there's nothing we can do. So it's still, it's the, yeah, it's kind of the MetaMask experience for now, the phantom experience. Uh, but we wanted to make sure that we could have that as, as fast as possible. And so now we are starting to work on these Argent unique features, which are social recovery, fraud monitoring, and so on. And if you do that, that means that you start to be connected to a backend because you interact mm. with, our, with, with our backend. And that means at that point that <clears throat> there will be some coherence between a user which has the mobile application and a user which has Argent X and has chosen to enable these Argent services. It will be one, you know, one user. So mm. it, it will it will be like two different ways to interact with with the same thing. But again, this picture is is still a bit blurred. So we are we are still discussing, you know, how we'll merge that. But fast forward, I would say a year. I believe that on Argent, on your mobile application, you will be on at least three chains. You will be on mainnet, on ZK Sync V2, and on Starknet, right? I think probably in a year, you will still see these different chains. I do believe in the future, the chains will be abstracted because again, users won't care about chains. They just care about what they do. But I think in a year, you will still be on mobile. You, you will have like three accounts if you want, one on mainnet if you want, one on ZK Sync V2 and one on Starknet. And then on the browser extension, you will, I think you will be potentially on these three chains as well on mm -hmm. the browser extension. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I, I you know, yeah. completely answer your question. No, that, that it, makes it, sense. It, it, it's that still a topic sense. we are still trying to, to really, you know, see how to create that coherence. But I think it's just a matter of, of user experience. At some point, there will be different ways to, to interact, but yeah. it will be one coherent product across these different form factors. I mean, I, I don't think anyone has the definitive answer on what things look like when you're on multiple chains or layer twos. <laughs> so, so we're all in the same boat. But I guess, yeah, that makes sense to me. So there will be a kind of Argent smart contract, uh, smart contract wallet that the user will have on Starkware, on on Starknet, zk sync v2, and on mainnet potentially, yeah. and these like mobile and web front ends will interface with all of them. They'll they'll give the user a cohesive view into all three of them, and then the keys which power these different wallets, the guardians and the user's own keys will also be somehow you know shared across these wallets. They'll have some cross permissioning, and and that's what it potentially will look like. Exactly. And again, that's the power of smart contract wallet or, or smart accounts is that you can write the logic that you want. So you can you can have a key on your mobile phone that has more power than the key that you have in your browser, for example. Yeah. We can come back to that later, but we're working on that idea of session keys, 
in StarkNet, you can imagine that actually on your browser, it's what we call a session key. So it's a key that has limited, limited functionalities and limited permission. So that the, the true remote control is still your mobile application, but there are some stuff that you do better on the web and on, on, on your computer. And for that, the browser extension actually makes sense. There's, there's a lot of possibilities. Maybe you will actually connect the, uh, the mobile to the browser extension using something like Wallet Connect. So actually there will always be only one key in the mobile application if you install the mobile application, but you can still use the browser extension because you've connected through, uh, through Wallet Connect. So I think there's, there's, there's still some details to nail, uh, yeah. but, but the end experience is becoming clearer and clearer. That's so cool though, to just hear that in its con concrete form of like, your assets will all be in one place and you'll just have different different ways of interfacing with it, with different levels of security. And it, I mean, that's just like a much more sensible model than what's happening today, which is that we have like a MetaMask wallet with, uh, you know, insecure, you know, a small amount of funds if you want to use it in applications. And then you have this like hardware wallet that's like sitting in some vault somewhere and you don't touch it. <laughs> and yeah. it's, it's just kind of a crazy setup that, that we're in. No, yeah. no, they, they, they definitely. And, and I think, again, yeah, I think smart contract wallet can really bring the best of both worlds. It's exactly yeah. that. You use MetaMask for the convenience, but you use the hardware wallet for the security. I think you, you can have both. It's not necessarily a trade-off. You can have convenience and security. And for that, multi-sig or custom multi-sig like the Argent model, I think is, is the best way to achieve that. Yeah. So how, how do you think about these different L2s? And also kind of putting myself in your shoes, like if you're running this application that all of a sudden is racking up massive gas fees and you're, I mean, you, you're, you're like looking at these different solutions very seriously and thinking about which one leads to the best future for both Argent and like the crypto world that you want to live in. And yeah, it seems like you have a lot of conviction about the ZK rollups. And I, I know, you know, from previous talks and whatnot that you've given that you also have opinions about like ZK, uh, EVM equivalents versus like compatibility and these sorts of things. So I'm just curious, like if you can talk through your, the trade-off space here and how you've thought about it. Yeah. So yeah, as, as I think as we discussed earlier, we rapidly realized that mainnet would not be the home of Argent. And so yeah. we started looking at, at what would come next and, and at, at, at layer twos. And so we discussed with all the teams, I mean, and I think there's a, there's a great number of really competent team. We discussed, you know, with Optimism, Arbitrum, ZK Sync and Starkware initially. Uh, now we're also discussing with, you know, the people at, at Polygon. There's no people from, you know, Polygon Hermes, Polygon Mina, they are Polygon Zero. They're doing great stuff as well. There's Scroll also, which is doing a lot of, of cool things. So there's more and more people coming. But initially, we really focused our discussion with, with Optimism, Arbitrum, you know, StarkNet and, and ZK Sync. And I think the, yeah, the, first, the first question for us was really which technology we believe would be the long-term solution between Optimistic Rollup and ZK Rollup. And I think from the start, most people kind of agree that ZK Rollup would be the long-term solution. Optimistic rollup would be ready you know, sooner and would be like the short to medium term solution. But a lot of people believe or yeah, believe that, that ZK rollup would be the long-term solution. What we realized discussing with you know, all these teams 
is that actually ZK rollups uh, like Starkware and ZK Sync were actually much closer to delivering than, than, than people believed. And so we believe we, we felt that the gap between how when optimistic rollup would move out of alpha to say beta or production and that, that same moment for ZK rollup, the, the, the time delay between the two would be much smaller than people expected. And, and, and so for us, that was kind of an incentive to go towards, towards ZK rollup. Yeah, uh, because we believe it, we, we we believe that's the long term solution. And and, and the again, the reason the reason in the long term zk is better than optimistic is is because you kind of have this proof that can be immediately verified instead of having a period for a kind of like fraud proof verification game. And and the reasons why people have thought that it might take longer is that it either requires a developer to kind of write these circuits by hand or or for there to be a like high level language and a compiler developed that can make it easy for developers to do this stuff and and do going through that process in a way that you get to a hardened like secure thing that can write like secure smart contracts like a compiler that can compile secure smart contracts is a very like difficult and complex process. Um, yes. So that is that is that like a fair characterization of like yeah. the high level uh, yeah. thinking? You're precisely on point. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and so your your kind of like insight has been that that compiler piece, like, and you know the overall architecture is like it's actually closer than people realize it is. Yes. Yes. Well, I, th I think it is there now. In a sense, Starknet is. For me, is as ready as Optimism or Arbitrum. There's still, well, I, I'm exaggerating a bit. There's still a piece of the infrastructure that needs to scale and improve, but but they are there. Uh, so yes, we, we believe that it would come it would come uh, sooner than people expected. And it's also you know the way we we want to build stuff at Argent. We really focus on the on the long term goal in the sense we we don't try to go for short term opportunities. We really want to. We have a vision of what a wallet should be and all you know this space should be, and we really try to build for that. And so yeah, it, it made sense to to focus on ZK rollup. And the second argument, which was in favor of, of these twos, is actually a kind of traction. And again, and for us, that was the decisive factor. Initially, optimism, you know, was supposed to, to ship with a kind of abstraction, and then they kind of rolled back because it added too much complexity. Uh, but for us, a kind of abstraction is a requirement because we don't want to. To, to be in the same position that we've been on mainnet, where we need to try to educate dApp developers of, you know, if you want to verify an off-chain signature, you cannot use EC Recover, you should use the IP 1271. And I mean, there's, there's all that friction. If you want to have meta transaction, you need to have relayers. There's all that complexity uh, that needs to be that needs to be managed if you're a smart contract wallet and all that friction uh, that we didn't want to leave that again. And so we really believe again that we needed to have a rollup, but we were in favor of ZK rollup, but still a rollup. I do think optimistic rollup have a place, you know, in, in the future as well, and they're a great technology. But we also wanted to have account abstraction. And so the fact that both Starknet and ZK Sync decided to, to launch with account abstraction, for us, that was a, a no brainer that these were the first environment on which we needed to build. Yeah. And, and the reason that other, that optimistic rollups aren't implementing account abstraction is is kind of 
orthogonal to them being optimistic versus ZK, right? It's a decision around like the developer experience and being EVM equivalent, which like yeah. if you move from having this EOA and contract model to just having uh, account abstraction, that means that um, what what are the ramifications of that for like, it means that applications that have been written on mainnet won't work on like there, there's a bit of a historical problem, but it does it also require a change in how the tooling and the ecosystem works. Yes, I mean, yes, it, it and, and that's the entire discussion that people have between EVM equivalence, EVM, you know, compatibility and, and so on. Yes, of course, I mean, I understand the will to being able to take the ecosystem as is and move it to your optimistic rollup. Of course, it's it's easy if, if all the tooling is already there, all the dApps are already there, then you can bring you know everything to your to your rollup. And yes, implementing a kind abstraction would certainly require a few changes. They, they, I think they are much smaller than people imagine, but they still require a few change from a dApp and, and the tooling uh, point of view, certainly. On the other end, I do feel that we are still so early in that journey in the sense that 99.999% of the population of the world or the developers don't even know about the blockchain. So I, I do think that taking that legacy and saying, you know, we, we cannot innovate because we want to take the ecosystem as it is today. Why doing that? The only thing, if I'm a bit, again, controversial, the only thing the ecosystem has done today is improve speculation and, and gambling. I mean, <laughs> that's certainly not what we should be building and that's certainly not the future of that technology. And, that's, and I do think one of the reasons we have, you know, we have a lot of speculation and all this, I mean, there's multiple reasons, but one also, I think, is it's because it's too complicated to interact with the technology. And so people need to have an incentive and people will actually go through that barrier because they can make quick money. And even, even though they might not understand. So, so I understand the point of wanting to bring the ecosystem as is, but again, the ecosystem hasn't accomplished much yet, I believe. And so I do think it's a great opportunity to actually change the stuff that can be changed. Take, take the stuff that did work and actually improve of the stuff that we believe needs to be improved. Yeah. Now, regarding like DAP compatibility, first of all, updating a DAP, I don't think it would be too complicated, but there's also so many developers everywhere that I believe if you build, let's say you build an Optimist with account abstraction and it doesn't have EVM equivalence, if, for example, Uniswap doesn't build Uniswap, adapt Uniswap for that environment, someone else will do because there's so many people and everything is open source. So I do believe that the DeFi, for example, which is the majority of the activity today, will be the same everywhere, irrespective of if you have EVM equivalence if, or if you are in a completely you know, different chain with different tooling and a different you know, smart contract language, which is exactly what you see on StackNet. People are writing contract, uh, you know, using Cairo. And, and if Uniswap is not moving there, Compound is not moving there, there's actually five teams which are taking their ideas, their code, and that will actually rewrite it in Cairo. So yeah. I, I, I do think that kind of making a picture and saying you want to take all this to, to, the, to, to our, our chain and, and not require any change and not innovate, I think is, personally, I think it's a mistake. Yeah. So in a sense, it's a short-term thinking. 
Again, it's easy yeah. for me to say that I'm not in their shoes. The future will tell us, you know, who was right and who was wrong. But but personally, I, I do believe that we are so early that we should we should still innovate. And I think moving to layer two is actually a great moment to to innovate and make these key changes that should have been implemented on Ethereum. I mean, if you look at Vitalik, he's been talking about account abstraction and he's been producing an EIP every single year since you know since the beginning of Ethereum because I think it was always clear that we would go towards account abstraction. Of course, no, there's so much at stake and there's other priorities. It never happened. Uh, but so, yes, I do think that that moving to layer twos and roll up is actually a great moment and a great opportunity to make these changes because there's much less at stake. Yeah. Yeah. And and from like from a macro ecosystem point of view, it's a very positive thing that these super competent, thoughtful teams are taking different points in this like trade-off space and are following yes. different paths. And I think, yeah. I think, yeah, e each, each of them has a compelling case to be made for them. And the one, yeah, I mean, I do resonate with what you're saying of, we have this unique, you know, opportunity that's not going to come around again in building a new execution environment, right? Because like once something is off the ground and is running and like, you know, it starts building its network effect, it's really like there's a strong inertia around changing things at a fundamental protocol level as we've seen with Ethereum. And so you have this unique opportunity to incorporate the big learnings you've had over these last few years with the protocol. And I also feel like I see both sides of it, you know, like they're, they're, they're uh, in the, you know, developer tooling and whatnot. It's like, if you compare developing on Ethereum today with five years ago, it's like so, so much better, but <laughs> like it's, it's a lot better, but, but on the other hand, like everyone can learn, like we're, <laughs> this yeah. is like, if, if, if people in this ecosystem have specialized in anything is in, dealing with janky early day things and learning things quickly. <laughs> yeah. So betting on that also seems seems like a positive thing. If if the value proposition is compelling enough, which I think in the case of account abstraction, for instance, like like if you're building a wallet with account abstraction, that's that's like a huge game changer. Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean we've discussed and I've discussed with with mo I mean almost every single L2 and even in optimistic roll up and it's like everybody agrees that they would want to have account abstraction. Everybody is interested. They come talk to us and, you know, they want to know a bit how we're doing with Starknet and ZK Sing. You, you can feel the interest and people know that it kind of makes sense. But all the people that want to be EVM equivalent, they're kind of waiting for, you know, L1 to actually adopt it and then they will adopt. I think it should be the other way around. Let, let's, let's implement account abstraction and let's tweak the EVM a little bit on on, on layer two so that we can actually test us. <clears throat> and when it works and when we have, you know, the, the, the tooling and we have the things that work, then we can actually update on L1, it would be much easier. So I do, sometimes I do think we should shift the way around. But yes, I agree that having people experimenting on different points on, the, on these trade-offs is, is actually a good thing for the ecosystem, it's, it's healthy. Uh, and so we will see where things will go. But my, my personal feeling is that in the end, we will have ZK rollups and account abstraction everywhere. It, that, that's something that I've realized lately. But if you look at the architecture of even optimistic rollup, it would be actually it kind of makes sense at some point to change this seven days period and this challenge period by just putting a validity proof. 
So I yeah. do think that even the optimistic roll-ups that we have today, at some point, will be ZK roll-up. So optimism will be an, a, a ZK roll-up. Right. will be a ZK roll-up. Again, I'm you know I'm not an expert into all that, but I, I do believe that that's how things will play out. Uh, and hopefully, I also hope that they will all have a kind of traction. That will yeah. make me very happy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. I think there's there's some there's some path dependence and. And, you know, it's an, there's, there's the question of, yeah, timing and what the order of operations to, to get to this, to get to this future. But I think most people would share the belief that, you know, a, you know, it, it, not, not having long, you know, verification periods, having account abstraction, like all these things are positive trade-offs to make. So I, and like from Arjun's point of view, not going through this whole painful journey of like, oh, we have to re-implement all of this stuff, even though we think it's going to get to account abstraction in like some time and it's going to kind of turn all of this interim work to moot and just starting with the account abstraction, like that kind of makes sense. Yeah, it's super, it's super interesting. I've also realized that you're super deep in the in the Stark Starkware and Starknet ecosystem, right? I was saying before we started that I was reading some of your code for the Argent contracts. You've been contributing to the accounts like interface for the protocol. And and I thought it might be interesting to just hear your thoughts on on what building on Starknet has been like. And yeah. maybe, maybe a first question is. What mental models do you have in how it's different from building a smart contract on Ethereum? Like if you were going to talk with yourself maybe six months ago, or if you're onboarding someone from Argent onto the, the StarkNet system, what sorts of things do you tell them when they're first getting started? Yeah, so first of all, to, to come back to something that you said earlier, like, how the tooling has involved, you know, has evolved a lot over the past four or five years. That's kind of something that I like, you know, that I like moving to Cairo is that I felt I was writing Solidity four years ago in the sense that when we started Argent, <laughs> I wrote the smart contract, you know, for, for the account and the tooling was terrible. You know, you had a problem. It was impossible to understand where the issue was from and there was lack of documentation and I think working on Cairo is a bit like that. But except that it's moving much faster because, of course, there's all so the it's learning. It's a bit, of, all bit the of nostalgia. It's a bit yeah, of that exactly. positive nostalgia. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and a lot of people say that in the ecosystem. They kind of feel the excitement that you had like four years ago on, on Ethereum, in a sense. So, yeah, I mean, moving to StarkNet, yes, there's a few new things to understand. For example, Kero is a different language. There's a few paradigms that are a bit different. But in the end, it, it's not that different. I mean... I personally believe that you can learn any language. I mean, it's the logic and the architecture of your code that matters. After that, the detail of the language is just something that you need to learn, but it's it, it, it goes actually fast. Uh, and the tooling is improving a lot. So, so I think it's becoming easier and easier to write uh, in Cairo and on StarkNet. And Cairo itself is changing a lot. Like the first version, there was all these pointers that needed to be, you know, binded, rebinded. And there was, even though you understand, I mean, I could understand in theory, it would it never compile. And the only way I found to solve is that putting like temporary variables on local variables here and there. And you kind of try, I used to call that doing voodoo, like 
meaning that <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what I'm doing, but I'm copy pasting and copying a few PEMVAR here, PEMVAR there, and suddenly it works. Of course, that's a terrible way to write smart contract, but that's how it was. <laughs> and, 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 and no, Kero in, instills confidence, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, you know, that, that was. Yeah, it's part of the day. process. That was, like, that was eight, eight months ago. So it's not. It's still very, very close, but, but since then, Cairo has actually improved a lot and now they deal with all that complexity for you. And so writing in Cairo is, is a bit like writing in, in Solidity. Of course, it's a different language, but the maturity and the level of abstraction is still a bit more low level in the sense that there are stuff like there's no string. There's a few of these, these higher level objects that you, know, you are used to use on Solidity. There's for example, no strings. Yes, there is no, there's people, it's exactly like Ethereum four years ago. There are people building, you know, libraries for that. And at some point, these libraries will be included, I think, in Cairo. So it, it's it's going to the same path that I that I witnessed on my short time on, in this space on, on Solidity. I think it's going to that same same path uh, on Cairo, but of course, much faster because there's actually the precedent of Solidity and it's easier to see what, what works and what doesn't work, what's important for developers, what is not. So I do think that Cairo will be at the level of solidity uh, in six to, to, to nine months. Or I mean, I, I, I don't know exactly with, with dates, but my feeling is that we are getting closer to, to the experience of writing smart contract in solidity in the StarkNet world and we are going there very fast. So, so yes, yeah. it was a barrier at first, but I think it's, it's no longer a reason not to, to jump and not to try for sure. Yeah. Yeah, reading some of the early code is a bit scary with all the pointers. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah I, I totally hear you on that stuff changing. And it's actually pretty cool to see this dialogue between application developers and the language developers. It's a, it's a really cool thing to have there. Yeah, yeah, I think that's something that Starkware has been doing extremely well, I think. Uh, and you were mentioning that I contributed to the account interface is actually instead of building everything themselves, they're building really the foundation, the language, and, and then incentivizing people to actually contribute and build what is needed. So for example, they knew they wanted account abstraction. Uh, and so they contacted us saying, you know, you have experience with smart contract wallet, it would be great to discuss with you because you be sure you've tried some stuff and you have experience of what works, what doesn't work, what's important, what is not important. And, and so we could help them, you know, making the right decisions. And sometime we discussed and they wanted to do something. And, you know, I was telling them, if you do that, you're making it impossible to have all these use cases. So, okay, at least they know what they're gaining, what they're losing. Um, and so for, for the account abstraction and, and the model of account, there was a discussion with, with uh, Open Zeppelin, us and, and, and Starknet. And they really with like- Martin, value. right? From Open Yes, Zeppelin. exactly. Yes, yeah. Martin, amazing developer. Um, so yeah, yeah, it, it was, I mean, it was, and it was like an open discussion. Like they really wanted to have a feedback. They really, they really build that, that part with us. And it, it's the same for all the other part of the tooling or the platform. They really leverage people, which I think is great. They listen to what, you know, what developers want. They listen to the feedback. They're really building that in the open in a sense, yeah. instead of, you know, building everything and say, okay, this is how it works. No, you can use it. It's really, we have the foundation. Let's create an ecosystem and iterate with that ecosystem. And yeah. so that, I think that's something that they've done extremely well. And, and, and there's two benefits. First, you're building the product that people want. And also you get people really excited because actually they can contribute and they feel that they can you know, impact on, on what you're building. And I think that's part of the reason the StarkNet ecosystem is so passionate. 
because people really feel that they can contribute. They are part of something. They are listened when they want to say something. And, and I think that's, so it's been very interesting to watch, to be honest. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed by the Starkware team for that. Yeah. No, I, I have a similar feeling where I've met multiple people, multiple teams now who are just like super excited about what's going on. And it almost, it, it has its own kind of community identity, right? Like there's a StarkNet ecosystem and people are like going to hackathons together and chatting together and sending yeah. these like hack MD, like how to get started with like building on StarkNet, you know, docs yeah. back and forth. And it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it, 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 it's very, very cool. And, and yeah, and so at, at Argent, we were actually there really early. So we really wanted to contribute. And so we realized there was like no wallet. And so it's really funny because our, our real journey, I mean, we've known Starkware for a long time. We hesitated between ZKSync V1 and StarkX initially. And for different reasons, we built on, on, on mobile on ZKSync V1, but we've been always close with the Starkware team. And so I think it was like in November, I wanted to code something and ZKSync V2 was not ready. Like they were supposed to, to ship and to give us something to play with and it was a bit delayed. And so I was like, okay, I have some time, you know, I'm going to try this carrot thing and see where, where StarkNet is. And so I, I, you know, I started playing, I go on Discord, I start discussing with a few people. And then I realized that people were, there were application developers at the point where they were building dApps, but they didn't know to connect the dApp to the protocol. And they were going in, in wrong direction. And so at first I started to kind of argue and say, no, this is how it should be built. This is the, what is missing. And then we discussed internally, we're like, well, actually let's build it. <laughs> you know, there's clearly an opportunity, let's build it. And so we build a wallet, but we also started building stacknet.js, which is the equivalent of Ethers.js, like JavaScript library to, to interact. Uh, and so there's all, wow. these, all these things that we started building at Argent with other people because it was needed. So. Some yeah. stuff we did with Open Zeppelin on the contract side for StarkNet.js. It was shown from from aspect that really kickstarted. We started, you know, contributing, and we did that. But there are other teams that did did you know equivalent stuff. There another mind who did Voyager, like to have a transaction explorer, and there's all these other teams building, you know, like tooling to develop smart contract and so on and so on. So, so yeah, a lot of people being involved, and I think StarkNet kind of like a, as a puppet master, nicely incentivizing people to go in one direction, giving grants to those that are needed, but yeah. to make sure that the ecosystem is moving is moving fast and in the right direction. Yeah, totally. Maybe this can be interesting. It, it might also get too technical and crazy, but, but I'm going to ask anyway. Like you mentioned developing this account abstraction or the account interface with the Starkware team with Martin from Open Zeppelin. And it being it being like an interesting example of the the language and the application developers kind of talking with each other. It might also be an interesting view into like accounts and account abstraction on StarkNet and what that looks like. So I'm curious, could you just like describe that a bit in a bit more detail? Like how does the how does the language and the the environment think about accounts and how did that conversation between the three of you go? Yeah, so I think the the initial idea of how to implement account abstraction comes from the Starkware team. There's been roughly in parallel, there's been EIP 4337, which is the last EIP on account abstraction, which was like pushed you know, by, by Vitalik and a few other people. 
And the idea of actually port 337 is to bring a code abstraction without requiring any protocol change. So that means that it's a way to have some form of account abstraction today without requiring a new transaction, without requiring a new code. And I think it's actually a, a great design, but it's meant for, for, for mainnet. And so the idea of the Starcore team was actually to take 4337, but to bake some of the component in the virtual machine itself, in the care of VM. <clears throat> so in 4337, you have like a single, an entry point contract, like a singleton where you send like, you know, uh, user operation and that single done will then orchestrate the execution of all these these transactions. In a sense, account abstraction on StarkNet is to to bring that entry point contract into the virtual machine itself. Mm -hmm. So that means that when you execute, when you make a transaction, it will interact and orchestrate with the account that is needed. And so that means that now, and and if you take a step back. On, on Ethereum, if you look at how an EOA works, for example, I think it's, it's interesting to go back to understand the, the difference with account abstraction. On Ethereum, an EOA, it's, it's an account that's tightly tied to a signer, right? So the, you have typically, you have a, a private and public key. That's what the user has. And then on chain, there is an account whose address is related to the public key and only the corresponding private key can trigger transaction. So that means that when you submit a transaction to, <clears throat> to Ethereum, the EVM will identify the account, will mm -hmm. verify the signature. So we'll identify the account, we'll verify the signature, we'll make a few checks, verifying the signature, verifying the nonce, and making sure the account has enough value uh, to pay for the transaction. So there's a validation phase, if you want, where the virtual machine validates that the transaction will work and this validation is very fast. It doesn't consume a lot of, of resource. And that's important because it's a way for miners to rapidly know if they will be paid if they execute the transaction. So there's a validation phase. And then if that validation phase, then there's actually the execution of the transaction. Okay. And and, on and this Ethereum, the validation phase probably uh it's been a while since I've looked at things at this layer of the stack, but it's probably also what like the check full nodes do prior to passing on a exactly, transaction exactly. in the gossip yes. protocol, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. When you submit something to the to, to your node before it gets into the mempool, the validation is checked to make sure yeah. that the transaction is actually valid. Yes. And so actually that's what costs 21,000 when you make a, a simple ease transfer. It's actually the gas cost of doing all these check of this, this validation. So it's very limited in gas. Uh, and then you have the execution. And so if no, and the problem with Ethereum is of course, is that all this is hardcoded, meaning that the validation is hardcoded. You verify the signature, but it needs to be a signature using ECDSA on a very specific you know, curve, curve. And, and then the account address is tightly linked to the private key. So it's like the, the two objects are two sides of the same coin. The signer that the user has, this, this key pair and the account is actually in a sense, the same two sides of the same, the same object. And that's where all the, all the problems I believe come from. And so the idea of account abstraction is to decouple that, is to say, no, the account is, is actually the account becomes a smart contract which can choose how to validate the transaction and it can choose how to execute a transaction. Of course, there will be constraints, but actually how you validate the transaction is up to the person who deployed the account. That means that now 
you can have one signature on ECDSA and the same curve if you want, but actually you can use another signature scheme than ECDSA. You can use you know, a different elliptic curve. You can have actually multiple signals. All this is that you've abstracted actually the functionality of validating a transaction and executing a transaction. And so if you go that to the account, if you now say, okay, the account is a smart contract, you still need to have these two functionalities. So that means that your account needs to validate a transaction to make sure that the transaction will be valued. That is, it's actually a legitimate transaction and that the account will be okay to pay for that transaction. So you need to have this validation phase. And so if you translate that to the account, that means you need to have a validate method on the interface of the account. Every single account on StarkNet with account abstraction needs to have a method called validate that the virtual machine can actually ping, send the transaction and ping and say if the validate method says yes or no, meaning is it yeah. a valid transaction for this account or not. Something that was hard-coded in, in the EVM now becomes the virtual machine actually loading the account bytecode and then verifying if the validate method is okay. So in, in, in mainnet Ethereum, this check would is hard-coded into the client software, right? Like it's a check that Geth does prior to even hitting like the account uh, state space. Whereas yeah. in the Starknet world, this this account, you know, uh, each account has logic associated with it that's stored in in the in the kind of state of the Starknet uh, blockchain, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it, it it's it's similar. Right? If if even on the EVM, you still need to load the account. If you want right. to validate the transaction, you need to get the account to know the right. nouns and to know the you value. You need to look it up so, still. Yeah, exactly. And so here you do the same, except that the account has some bytecode. And instead of doing this hard-coded validation, you execute the validate method, if you want. So that's the first step. And so that's for the validation phase. And then there's the execution. And that's similar. That means that the account must have a method to execute. And so coming back to the account interface, that means so far, your account needs to have two methods, one to validate and one to execute. And of course, there, there are a few constraints on this method. The first one is that the validate must be fast. It, it should consume a small number of resources because you want miners or you want nodes to being able to rapidly evaluate if a transaction will succeed or fail. And there's also some constraint for security reason is that you want to make sure that during the validation, uh, you only access mutable storage of the account itself. Mm. We don't need to go into the detail, but that's, it, it's, it's a way to make sure that you cannot DDoS the system by mm. a maliciously craft account, if you want. So you need to have a, a validate method. It, needs, it has some constraint, but that's the first method of the interface. Then you have a second method, which is to execute, which will know that the transaction is validated. It will actually take the call data and execute the transaction. That means calling another contract or transferring value mm. and so on. So there's these two methods. One thing that, so there's, I think there's been two contributions that we had in that discussion at Argent. The first one is to say that in the execution, it would make sense to enable multi-call. On, on Ethereum, you can actually make one transaction. If you have account abstraction, you can, you could pass one transaction, but you could also, you could also pass an array of transactions to be executed. And mm. which, this is something that we're doing on, on, on Argent Vault, is that you can execute a multi-call. And so a multi-call, it's a, it's a sequence of, of calls that you do on chain. And for example- How does that work? How does that yeah, work? A, a typical example is the, 
horrible approve and call, right? If you want to, if you want to interact yeah. with the DAP, let's say you want to, you know, you want to buy a lottery ticket on some DAP, you need to pay 10 DAI, for example, you need to make two transactions, one transaction to authorize the, the, the DAP contract to actually access your DAI, and then a second transaction to actually do the operation, and that will consume the DAI that you have authorized. So it's two calls, and that's a terrible user experience. There's a lot of security implications Sucks, yeah. around that. With a multi-call, you can do that in one atomic transaction because now your transaction is an array. So you're saying first execute the first item of the array, which will be the approve. Yeah. And after that, execute the second part, which is calling the DAP. And all this happens in one transaction at the protocol level, because but you are doing two operations. Got it. So, so that's why Argent it, Vault it, on mainnet does this already, you're saying? Yes, if you are a smart contract. Well, yes, that, that's why, for example, on Argent, if you if you want to invest in a DeFi protocol, it's actually yeah. one tap. If you've noticed, that's something that we're very proud is that in one tap, you can put funds into compounds or you can buy stake ease on Lido and so on, because actually we orchestrate this transaction. We create a multi-call and we send that array of actions that are needed and we tell your smart contract wallet execute this array of calls in sequence and if one of them fails you fail and if they all succeed then everything is good and mm -hmm. so your smart contract because it's a smart contract it will execute this sequence of operation so it will you know uh, the, the first example of that was uh, was using maker back then i think you know creating an, a cdp required like five operations yeah uh, because you needed to wrap and wrap transfer and so on. We could do that in one transaction because you tell your smart contract, do this. And when you've done, do, do that. And then do that next step and that final step. And so you, you can orchestrate all this. So we do that on, on, on L1. But what we told StarkNet is that we might as well have that baked in into the account interface. And that's why in the execute method now or in your transaction, you can pass an array of code. So that means that on StarkNet, you have by default every transaction can actually be a multi-code. So I think that, that that's something that is very cool. And that was one of our, of our contribution to that discussion. And the second thing is uh, the is valid signature. So again, that's, that's a bit low level, but one problem of smart contract wallet is that of course they cannot sign transaction. You sign with a key pair, but it's not your contract that is signing. And, and there's a pattern around the ecosystem, which consists of you asking users to actually to, to authenticate themselves to sign some off-chain message. And so typically with an EOA, you sign that message with your private key and you've said, you know, this is my account. And so the DAP can locally check that actually you own the private key to the account you, you were claiming to be because yeah. the two are linked. If you are a smart contract, it doesn't work because your identity, your account is the address of the smart contract. But when you sign, you sign with some key that is, that is not the smart contract itself. So the way this is resolved with smart contract and it's through an EIP called EIP 1271 that was pushed by Pedro from Wallet Connect is to actually have a method on the smart contract wallet called isValidSignature, which accept is basically a, a, a signature if you want and a message. Yeah. So you can actually ping the smart contract wallet and say, hey, I've received that signature claiming to be from you. Is this valid? And you let the smart contract decide that, that if it's valid or not. And so mm. again, that's another method that was needed to be added to the account interface on StarkNet. So that means that 
in the end, the account interface of so the interface of every account of StarkNet is very simple. It's basically three methods: one view method to check if a signature is valid, an off-chain signature is valid, and then a method to validate transaction and a method to execute transactions. Hmm. Super, super interesting. Yeah, let, let me know if that's clear. That's a lot of a lot of information. No, a lot of, yeah, it a lot is. Of details. It is. It is clear. So the the account interface basically an account is expected to implement these three methods one of them which is the view function it doesn't it doesn't write anything to the blockchain you pass a signature to it and it tells you whether the signature is valid or not and this is yeah. to replace a you know a contract needing to verify a signature itself um yes it's the equivalent of the EC recover that, yeah. that developers typically do locally, except that no, you cannot do that locally. You need to ask the account, is this valid or not? But yes. Yeah, 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 totally. That that makes sense. And then the other two methods are correspond to these two phases of executing a transaction. The first one checks whether a transaction is valid, which basically checks the signature that is attached to it, checks whether the user has enough gas, like all these sorts of things. And then the second yeah. thing actually goes and executes the transaction. Yes, yes. And what is great is that you can customize these two phases. So maybe you want an account, for example, where the validation, it's actually a multisig, a native multisig. And so in the validation, you want to check that you have received sufficient signatures because now you can pass an array of signatures. And so you can check that it's actually, you know, that all the signatures are, are valid. Or in the validation, if you go back to the Argent model, maybe you want to do a recovery. And in the validation, it can be a transaction sent by a guardian, so by a different key than the owner. But you can still, so, so that, that's the beauty of it, is that you have that interface, you have this constraint, but you can put whatever you want in it. And you can start it's experimenting with, exactly, with completely new models of, of accounts. For example, I mean, some of the things that, that you know, we are excited at, at, at Argent is the recovery and the fraud monitoring. We can come back to that, but actually that's two things that you can enable. So you can really have fraud monitoring and you can have social recovery. But you can imagine also that you can start using the secure enclave because the problem of the secure enclave of phone is that it's using a different you know, elliptic curve than the right. one we're using on Ethereum. But because this is custom, there's actually some very smart developer that wrote a Cairo library that can verify signature on the elliptic curve that is on the secure enclave of, of uh, Apple and, and Android, iOS and Android phones. So that means that now you could start signing transaction with a key that is actually really in the secure enclave and where the signature is happening in the secure enclave and never leaves the secure enclave. So now you have, everybody can have a hardware wallet in their pocket because your phone becomes a hardware wallet. I think that's very interesting. A second thing that we're exploring is, uh, and actually we are starting to test that with dApps is the concept of session keys because you can have, you can program the account, your accounts the way, yeah, the way you want you can actually let the DAP create a key locally and ask the DAP to, for, for the user to approve that key under a certain context. And that context say that key is valid for 25 minutes and it can call this and this and this contract and that and that method. So you can really define exactly the only thing that this key can do. Once it's approved, the DAP and that key can actually make transaction directly on the account. So you no longer need to have a wallet. Uh, and all this and this will go through the validation and the execution because we've programmed that 
in uh, in the in the implementation of the account interface. Yeah. Are you, I realize we have seven minutes left. Do you want to, are you able to extend by 10, 15 minutes? Just so yeah, we can... yeah, sure. No, yeah. my pleasure. Actually, I didn't realize it was already that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, kind of flew by. Yeah, that's a good sign. Yeah. Yeah, this, this last idea of session keys is very, very interesting. So going back to that example of playing a game, the user experience of a game would be totally broken if you had to approve transactions every single time you want to make a move. But here, like the game, either the client or even the game server could spin up a key that you give permissions to in your, in your accounts, you know, is like validation method. And you basically say that this is valid until X block number or until, you know, X time yeah. by proxy. And they can, and, and up to, you know, this much value, or if it's interacting with these smart contracts and you have so much, uh, flexibility in how you implement these things that feels like a total breakthrough. Yeah. 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 And I mean, yeah, that's all the main pain points for games, because now if you think of the user experience, that means as a user, I go to a game, I'm asked to connect my wallet and then I receive a notification, you know, it, this can be, you know, nicely presented to the user. Are you okay? You know, you want to start a session. For, are you okay to have a se to approve this this session for twenty five minutes? And this session will only call this and that, that that contract. As a user, you say yes, and that's it. You no longer see a wallet. You no longer see a transaction. You can start to play the game. And every time you make a game action that requires an on chain transaction, it will be silently managed by by the game itself. You you don't need to see it. You don't need to approve anything. You can actually focus on the game. But you know that you're still secure. You're still within the perimeter of what you have approved. So yeah, I, I think there's a lot of, of game developers which are very excited about that on, on the StarkNet ecosystem. And so we are at the, we are starting to experiment. So meaning that the contract is is ready again in alpha, right? It's not it hasn't been updated. There's still a few things that we are modifying, and we are now enabling that as an experimental feature in Argent X, so that games can really start to 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 leverage that. And, and what's funny, you're saying it's a breakthrough. It's actually something that we already had in the Argent Vault four years ago. Right. That there was there was no use, but that that's what I find fascinating is that we actually can can kind of bring back all these ideas we've been having for four years, and now they start to make sense and resonate to people because the environment is is at the right level of maturity in a sense. Yeah. All, oh, oh, I mean, this this thing of session keys we call them DAP keys four years ago. But the only thing that has changed is the name. The the actual the flow and the concept was already there, but there was no use because, yeah, because there was no DAP that needed something like that. Now that you are on Starknet, one of the benefits of Starknet is that you have, I won't say unlimited computation, but that computation is very cheap, and you can have a lot of computation that gets a lot of game developers very excited because they can now start to put all their on-chain logic. Uh, all the logic on chain, sorry, and and so make much complex games that really live on chain. And I think that's something that's very exciting because you can start to have composability, you can start to have all these benefits of of blockchain, but in the game, the gaming uh, space. But there was still the problem of of the friction. So now, if you combine that with this idea of session keys, then you can start to have like true on chain games with a good or great user experience for users. So yeah. I think all these all these things are cooking and are gradually becoming, you know, uh, coming to to maturity in 
at least in the Starknet ecosystem for now, which is which is That's... really cool. And there's some some amazing game developer there. There are some people with completely crazy ideas. <laughs> uh, but what is great is that you can actually try them and implement them on Starknet because you yeah. are no longer constrained by you know by the compute. What are and what are I, some of the crazier game ideas that that you've seen or are excited about? So there's these people at Topology, which mm -hmm. I would yeah. encourage yeah. you to look at Guilty Gyoza. He's, he's, yeah, yeah, I know that. He's, he's amazing. Uh, it, it's sometimes hard to follow. But they say, I mean, they have these, these crazy ideas. And so they have this first game that they were playing, which is a fully on-chain game. The three-body problem, right? Exactly, yeah. Which I think is fascinating. And they're really, their they, they vision or their mission is to make like kind of virtual reality on-chain. Completely, uh, and I think that's I was I was having a discussion with him where they kind of want to try to understand some of the laws of physics by saying that you can create actually reality with different you know parameters of physical properties if you want and see where that leads to, which is a way to say what would happen in the world if instead of having you know, gravity at you know at, at working like that gravity was working differently you can start to actually program these kind of things on chain and see how they will evolve and what kind of world people would build on top of it. So I think these are some of the crazy ideas that that people are starting yeah. to experiment with in, in Starknet. Yeah, like if you take away the computational bottleneck, you can all of a sudden implement a physics engine that isn't kind of like operating in isolation as physics engines would be, but has like economically motivated yeah. actors interfacing yeah. with it at all sides which is super interesting yeah. i mean i guess it, it's in some ways like the the promise of these like big multiplayer games like wow and whatnot but doing it on chain takes it to a whole other level yeah yeah and and i think on top of that you bring the aspect of composability meaning that you know i build a game and you can build a game on top of my game and all these benefits that 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 were basically the reason why DeFi, you know explode and, and, and was so interesting for the past two or three years is because of that composability. I think you can bring something like that into the, the gaming world, which I, I think is fascinating. One of the reasons why I think it's, I, I found that interesting is that it's a non-speculative use case. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I mean, I'm not a big gamer, so I don't think you know changing the way we make games is going to change the world, but it's actually a, a new application, a new use case of the blockchain that can be concrete, that can resonate to a lot of people. So it might be a way to onboard, I mean, hundreds of millions or billions of people to the blockchain for something that is not speculative. And I think that's, that's yeah, that's fascinating. Super exciting. Yeah, I actually pinged Guilty Gyoza before this podcast and asked him for his recommendations and getting up to speed with the technical aspects of Starknet. And he sent me a bunch of blog posts and I, I've been going down a bit of a rabbit hole, which has been fun, <laughs> like I was saying. What do you think it will take to implement account abstraction on mainnet? And and is that is that necessary for us to get to this kind of beautiful vision of the future? Or or a world in which like mainnet continues with its current model and account abstraction is implemented on L2s, is that sufficient? Like, how do you think about that question? It's a, it's a yeah it's it's a good question. I think one underlying question of that is how do we see the future of of L1 and L2s in the sense that fast forward in in five years, who is using L1? 
you know, is there still application and, and like normal regular users like us using L1 or is actually all the normal users, you know, have moved to L2 and then maybe there's a few institution or a few, you know, a few protocol which require high level settlement running on L1. I personally, I think that will be the case. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if that's true, then it is in a sense, it's a bit less relevant. Because I think the beauty of account abstraction and smart contract wallet is really, uh, and it's it's like for user accounts, right? If you are an institution or if you do settlements between banks, they can manage hardware wallets, they can have multi-sig, they can have everything. So if 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 in the future ninety-nine point nine percent of the user activity is happening on L2s, then I think it is it doesn't really matter if account abstraction is is pushed to L1 or not. Uh, but I do think it's important that it is pushed to, to L2s. Now, on the other end, if, if L1 is still relevant and we still have a lot of activities and we are still using Uniswap and Compound and Aave on L1 and that new fancy DAP on L1, then yes, having account abstraction is, is, you know, is very important, I think. But my feeling, if you ask me, my, my gut, gut feeling is that the majority of activity will move to L2s and that L1 is, will, will be a settlement layer for rollups, but also for some protocols and maybe some, you know, uh, be used by some institution or some some big players. But I do believe the majority of the user activity will be on on L2s, and so whether there is account abstraction or not is, is less relevant. Of course, if you put account abstraction to L1, it's it's a it's a guarantee to have account abstraction on all the L2s. Mm -hmm. So of course I would love that if if we implement account abstraction like at the protocol level. At the EVM level on, on, on Ethereum, you know, in six months after the merge, that's fantastic because I think it's the guarantee that all the L2s will implement account abstraction. Uh, so, so yes, that would be a great way, but I don't think it's a requirement. Hmm. Yeah. So the, the, the way you see the next few years evolving or even, you know, the, the nearer term future is that uh, application developers, you know, working on games would, would build their games on Starknet or other ZK rollups, um, you know, NFT applications, like various things, like people, people will, you know, gradually choose to build on layer twos first, maybe some DeFi centric protocols will still deploy on mainnet, but over time, the gas fees on mainnet will continue increasing. They'll kind of crowd out these less financial, uh, applications which will be on L2s and those are the things that primarily benefit from account abstraction and uh, so you know we're we're th this is like a, a a pretty meaningful step towards this like better future where users have both usability and security just having this on L2s is a very good start even if mainnet takes some time to get there yeah yes yeah but, but again, you know, having that on L1 would be a, a, a quick way to have that on, on L2. But to, I think as part of your question, you were asking what is required for that to happen on L1. I think there's, so the, the people that, you know, that, that design EIP 4337, I think they are kind of pushing for people to start to use that on L1. And of course, what we are telling them is that it should be at the, the, the virtual, at the EVM, level in the sense that it, it's not sufficient, but but maybe they will start with that. And then after that, it will come to, to the protocol. Uh, yeah, I, 
I don't know. I mean, I know a lot of people are in for it. I know. I mean, it's, it's been, I think, something important for Vitalik. Totally. I think after the merge, there will be more bandwidth for, for this, this chain. And we've been to, to, through some, I mean, drastic changes, you know, the merge totally. before that, there was 50, 59, changing gas. So I think it's reasonable to imagine that we can actually go through and push the ecosystem towards something like having a con attraction at, at the EVM level on L1. So I don't think it's unreasonable. Uh, it would certainly be great. I don't think it's a requirement. And I don't think, you know, as I've said before, I don't think layer two should wait for that to start considering a con attraction. But of course, if it happens, I think it, it would be a, a great benefit for the entire ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah, the protocol layer is like moving. It's a pretty exciting feeling to see it continue to evolve. So I wouldn't be surprised either if we just continue to like execute these like bigger things. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, and in terms of these bigger things, I, I seriously believe that that's probably the most important one. I, I do think yeah. that it's a requirement to scale the ecosystem. So so it, it needs to happen one way or another. Yeah. Uh, last question, since you're someone who's been thinking about wallets for a long time. Speaking today, like concretely, if I want to hold a, and let's say an unhealthy portion of my net worth in crypto <laughs> as someone in yeah. this ecosystem, what is a sensible wallet setup to have in today's world? Because, you know, uh, hardware wallets have their own problems. Um, smart contract wallets on mainnet have this problem of not being not interfacing with a bunch of applications like you've been saying so what do you think if you had to start a setup from scratch today what would you do concretely speaking so of, of course i'm biased uh, so disclaimer but i was seriously i would if if it's a, a good portion of you know of your assets, assuming that you have a decent amount of assets, I would seriously consider Argent Vault. So Argent on L1, because yes, as I mentioned, there's two drawbacks. One is the compatibility with DApps, but again, it depends what you want to do. If you want to, you know, if you want to interact with the last, you know, the, the newest DApp that has some crazy yield for two weeks because it's you know, it's it's it. Yeah, this, this kind of, of new things that appear. If you always want to be on the last trend and you really want to gamble and make big wins, then maybe, yes, it might not be compatible with a smart contract wallet. But if you want to manage your assets reasonably in the sense that you want to, you know, you want to have DeFi protocol, but you want to interact with Yearn, with Curve, with Aave, with Compound, with Lido, all these protocols, they are integrated in one tap in Argent Vault. So if you want to stay within the more robust and battle tested and, and most used protocols, then they are compatible with, with Argent Vault. Even if you have NFTs, you know, OpenSea you now is compatible with, with, with Argent Vault. So unless you are basically, unless you are a degen, if you're a degen, then maybe Argent Vault, no, actually that's how I should have started. If you are a degen, maybe Argent Vault is not the best solution for you because yes, you won't be able to access the new, you know, the new, the newest, DAP on, on the ecosystem. But if you are a normal user and you want to do normal DeFi, normal NFT, then yes, all these are available to, to Argent Vault. And so it will combine for me the best security with the best convenience. There's still the drawback of the cost because yes, your Argent Vault will be a bit more expensive than using MetaMask. But again, if you have a decent amount of asset and what decent is, I think is up to everybody, uh, but then you sh you shouldn't you know sacrifice security over saving you know twenty cents or thirty cents per transaction. 
because that's what we are talking about. So if you have 10, 10K or plus, I would use Argent Vault without question. And, and what would you do? Where would the keys be? Uh, would you be using a hardware wallet for one of the keys? Or like, how would you distribute yeah. it between your friends with the guardians? Like, how would you think about those types of things? Concretely? So I can I, yeah, I can tell you my setup. Uh, mm -hmm. My setup is actually I have three guardians. One is the Argent Guardian service to which I can authenticate with email and SMS. So every time the guardian needs to do action, I need to validate a, a link on my email and I need to, to validate an, uh, a link to, to, to SMS. So validating phone and email. So that's guardian number one. The second guardian is a friend. And the, the third guardian is a hardware wallet. So for me, I use three guardians and I use, yeah, I use, I use this, this, this setup. That means that for convenience, I can always ask a friend and use the Argent service. But if for some reason something bad happened, I still have that hardware wallet that I can, you know, that I can use. If for some reason my friend is not available, or, or for some reason Argent is down, uh, which has never happened but can happen, I still have the hardware wallet. So for me, I would set that up with with three guardian: one which is called the Argent Guardian service, a friend that you trust, and then a hardware wallet. Yeah, and then maybe have like a like a separate kind of hot wallet for just playing around with with random applications and move smaller amounts of money from the Argent vault into that one. Yes. Again, that's not how I use. I mean, I'm not a degen. I'm a, like yeah. you know, I'm a, I, I use my <clears throat> I use my wallet as an old person, meaning that that you know <laughs> I invest in a protocol and I leave my funds there and then sometimes I will trade, but I do like not so exciting operation. So I, yeah, typically I, I never leave funds from, from Argent, but I know some who do, and yeah, typically they'll have a MetaMask, for example, and then they will use MetaMask to do this crazy stuff. And then periodically they will send funds between their MetaMask and, and their Argent vault. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been super fun, man. Thanks again for taking Likewise. the Likewise, my pleasure. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, been, it's been great. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to make a small ask here. If you've been listening to these conversations and want to support what we're doing here, I would really, really appreciate if you could leave a rating and a review for the podcast wherever you're listening to it. This might seem like a small thing, but it will really help other people also discover the show. Thank you. I'm grateful to be able to do this and look forward to being here together again soon.